Welcome to the Full Dig Podcast, Week 2, A Jealous God. The first four commandments tell us about a correct relationship with a holy God. They make clear that He is to be held in the highest esteem. There is a subtle yet essential difference between the first and the second commandments. Commandment 1 tells us to reject every false god so that we may worship the true God. Commandment 2 forbids us from making man-made idols. And it has to do with worshiping the right God in the right way. But why does God say he is a jealous God? Do we need to be concerned about making idols in our time? Well, stay tuned for episode two, because we will answer all these questions and more. Well, welcome to episode two of the Ten Commandments on the Full Dig podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Kirk Sexton, and with me is Pastor Bruce Johnson. Good to be with you again, Kirk. Well, Bruce, we made it through last week, and we had another great sermon from Pastor Steve last week. We have a few things we left undone from our previous podcast, and I wanted to give you a chance to share some of that for our listeners. Okay. Well, I was thinking about, we were talking about the Hebrew and Greek a little bit, and I neglected to emphasize the English term Decalogue. That's another name for the Ten Commandments, and that comes from the Greek Decalogos, ten words, which is how the Ten Commandments are translated in the Greek version of the Bible. So if you, we pause and or we get into technical terms like Decalogue, you'll know what that means. It just means an, another word for the Ten Commandments. Good. And this week we had the text from Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6. You shall not make for yourselves an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So the first commandment of, in the Ten Commandments with a promise, a promise of God's love, which mm. is pretty significant. Yeah, I mean, I think we get hung up on the the idea of the punishment, and we miss that key little word there, love, in our, you know, I think we get hung up on the punishment and the shall nots, and we miss the promise. Right. It's like a conversation we have in a family, like, you know, you'll clean up your room or else. Well, you want them to clean up their room, but there's certain consequences if you don't. But, mm -hmm. you know, you want everybody to do their part in the, in the family or in a marriage. You know, uh, we want to, we promise to be exclusive. We promise to be faithful. And uh, there are obvious terrible consequences if, if you don't in terms of relationship and, and broken trust. Mm. But if you keep those promises, you can grow in love and depth and joy. And so, you know, that's the goal. God wants a deep, uh, vibrant, loving relationship with us. And the Ten Commandments are all about that. Now, I noted in our... In our notes here, we have Deuteronomy 5, verses 8 through 10, a retelling of that. Is there anything in there that is different? I went through it word by word. I did not see a single iota that is different. It's all the same, same text in that. 
Uh, but a good time to remind audiences of what we talked about uh, in our first episode, which is uh, different traditions break up the Ten Commandments in, in different ways. And we talked about how um, in the uh, Jewish reckoning and in uh, the reckoning of the Lutheran churches and, and some other churches, you take what uh, other traditions, including Presbyterians, would say are the first two commandments. Uh, you shall uh, uh, have no gods before me, and you shall not make any graven images, that those two are combined in a single commandment. Uh, and so what we are looking at today, uh, not making any graven images, uh, and combining that with the first time we meet as small groups with the first commandment, uh, you shall have not no other gods before me, is actually the way those two instructions are combined in a number of traditions. Our study guide this week, I think, did a good job of separating those two. Uh, commandment one tells us to reject every false god so we may worship the true God. And commandment two, which forbids us from making man-made idols, has to do with worshiping the right God in the right way. Exactly. And as Pastor Steve emphasized in his sermon, the second commandment is probably the most misunderstood of commandments. We think, oh, we're not making idols anymore. Uh, it's not a commandment that's giving us much trouble anymore, but actually it does. Anytime we trust in our own uh, powers, our own creations, our own giftedness, uh, we, we can get in trouble and we can get our eyes off of God. So that's really where we're headed in this podcast. But I know that we teased up in the first episode that we'll have more archaeology. So I thought duty-bound to have a little bit more archaeology. Yes, the people have been screaming for more archaeology. So you tell me. So I, I thought I'd start with a story. So I'm in uh, my first uh, semester of studying uh, in Jerusalem and doing field work in the historic geography of the Holy Land. So we go out on a field trip where we're looking at different biblical sites. And we're at one site that's occupied during the Old Testament period, the Iron Age II period. And just on the ground, one of my fellow students finds there an idol, a small clay figurine of a woman's torso. And this is a fertility goddess. And one of the most common finds in the Iron Age II period, the period of the kings and queens of Israel and Judah, for a Jewish site, you find these idols, these fertility figurines. So usually the head has uh, been broken off from the torso because the head was uh, molded and some mold, so it looks like a human face. But the torso is, is rather uh, crude or one might say like a modern sculpture, woman's torso. And that's what he found there. It's one of the most common finds from a Jewish period of occupation in the Iron Age too. these idols. So it's something to keep in mind. It's exciting to think about what that must have been for that student, that friend of yours, to, to find that. That would have been thrilling. It was pretty cool to see that. It's really the Bible come to life. So when uh, we see in the Ten Commandments this prohibition against idols, this was a real problem for them. It really doesn't cease to be a problem in terms of the making of idols until the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC. After that ex horrible experience, you don't have another time in Jewish history where you have the crafting of idols really being problematic, something that uh, was 
things that the Jewish people are struggling with. So the religions become more blended and you have cultures blending, you have opportunities for people, even Hebrew people, to say, as, as Pastor Steve talked about in his sermon, maybe wanting to hedge their bets. Exactly. And of course, the other story that we remember from the giving of the Ten Commandments, Moses is up on the mountain for 40 days, and people get antsy, and they're wondering if Moses is going to come down. So they look to his brother Aaron and ask him to shape a golden calf for them to worship, an idol for them to worship. So as Moses is receiving the commands, don't make an idol, there's his brother making an idol for the people. So very problematic. Well, you mentioned in our podcast last week that you had some insights to share about the pyramids. Yes. Uh, and I've been to Egypt, I guess, officially four times, three times to the Sinai and once to the Nile Delta, you know, Cairo, and then uh, covering both lower, middle, and upper Egypt. And what I discovered in that fourth trip to Egypt was that all the great Egyptian monuments that go, you go to see as a tourist, all of them are related precisely to the worship of pharaohs as gods and goddesses in human forms. Uh, the three great pyramids of Giza, all of them originally had uh, mortuary temples at the base of them so that different rites, different rituals, different worship services for that particular pharaoh as a god would continue. Mm. And I also think that it's interesting when I look at the Egyptian temples that were in the Sinai Peninsula. That's the peninsula where, by tradition, Moses receives the Ten Commandments. Makes sense if you go out of Egypt, you're headed for the Promised Land. In between is the Sinai Desert. Mm. That's where we uh, think Moses received the Ten Commandments. And in there, uh, for many years, the two Egyptian temples that we knew that had come to light were dedicated to the goddess Hathor, and she is a cow goddess. She mm. is portrayed either as a cow or as a woman with a flip hairdo, but even when she's a woman, she has cow ears, which is kind of strange. Yeah. And they are uh, worshiping the golden calf as uh, Moses is up on the mountain. So uh, both the original context for receiving the Ten Commandments and then in the history, the Old Testament history, it, it's a big problem uh, for the Jewish people. Well, as Reformed people, uh, we're often said to be people that are interested in the law as, as we have been looking at it, but we're also interested uh, in the covenants that make, uh, sometimes it's called covenant theology. And uh, I was wondering if you could maybe talk about the relationship between law and covenant. Of course, law is, is where God is saying, um, let's make a pact that this is the right way to live. But a covenant is where you enter into a promise, a promise to be faithful. And we have different examples of you know, covenants in the uh, Bible. We have covenant of salt, where you take a, a pile of salt and you divide it between two people, and you, you'd share that, you eat that as part of a meal, and that becomes a promise. Or you think of Psalm 23. Uh, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. That's a meal covenant mm. uh, where you uh, eat, uh, share a meal and uh, that indicates that you're, you're good as uh, you know, there's peace between two different parties. Mm. 
Uh, Kirk, you've done a lot of thought on covenant theology yourself. What what have you thought about? Well, it's just theology? a reminder that uh, God is a God who makes covenants, um, and it's it's similar to a contract, but it's different. I think it would be probably closer to a marriage contract, but even more than that, because uh, well, the Hebrew people, as we know, in their rebellion, break the covenant and. God is always ready to renew the covenant and do it again. And so uh, we are covenant breakers, and, and he is um, always renewing and uh, showing grace and doing a new covenant for us. God is the promise keeper, and he keeps his promises. He keeps his covenants. Yeah, so we've got covenants with Adam. We have covenants with Noah. We have covenants with Abraham, uh, Abram and then Abraham. Um, and then we have this Mosaic Covenant. Right. And uh, some Reformed theolog theologians would talk about the original covenant within the Trinity itself, that they will have a plan of redemption and all, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on the same page about God's desire to redeem, wow. God's desire to be a Savior. And you think of that in uh, John 3.16. Mm. It doesn't say Christ so loved the world that Christ came down. It says God so loved the world. Mm. Uh, that he sent his one and only son, mm. uh, that, that uh, God the Father and God the Son are uh, on the same page about the desire to save the world, to save you and me. And that's a great thought. Yeah, so the idea of covenant comes maybe even before the creation. Then That's mind-boggling. I know. It's... My mind is blown already. I know. I you never... keep on doing I'm... that to me, Kirk, every I've... time. I, well, I've thought about it. I haven't thought about it in that context before, but I've thought about, you know, the, the Trinity as being in this embrace of love and wanting us to be a part of that kind of community. And I guess covenant would make sense that they would have that planned from the beginning of beginning of time. You know, Kirk, I think this is a nice tie in to what you were saying earlier about uh, God's jealousy. God is jealous for our love, um, and that comes out here. Uh, don't make any gods, don't have any other gods before me, don't make any idols, because I am a jealous God. Now, when I am jealous, it is a bad thing. Right. You know, it is not a, um, a trait that is warm and fuzzy. It's not something that, that makes me seem like a, a better human being mm -hmm. when I am jealous. Uh, usually because it comes out in all weird ways. But God is a jealous God. He's jealous for your love and my love. He wants us to be in this exclusive relationship when it comes to the worship of God, uh, that we should worship God alone. Mm -hmm. And God being the one true God, almighty, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, the God who is love itself, it makes sense that all worship and all glory should be to that true God and not to things of our own making, our own success plan, our own possessions, um, things that belong to God alone, which is our worship. God is jealous for that, to have our full hearts. Yeah, Pastor Steve in his sermon on Sunday talked about Calvin calling us factories of idols and i read something today that that 
in the translation, it may be our hearts are the ones that are the factories of idols. So think of that. The desires of your hearts, anything that you desire above God is putting that before God and his love for us. Right. And so many of the things that God has given us, God has blessed us with, uh, if they are received in the right way, all those pleasures are good things. Right. And hell cannot make a single pleasure. All it can do is, is get things all strange and sideways and, and out of proportion. Mm. Uh, and that's where it becomes stumbling blocks for us. Yes. You had in our notes uh, Matthew 10, 37 through 39 as a way of sort of speaking to that. Um, it's Jesus saying, um, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's all about a particular orientation for life. Um, you read it the first time and it's shocking. But the longer you think about it, 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 it makes sense. Uh, there are some people that deserve... Uh, Praise and adulation, you know, if you have a coach or a team that uh, achieves success, you know, that, well, they're, they're worthy of accolades. Uh, if you have uh, a son or daughter that does well at school, you know, they're worthy of congratulations, maybe a trip out to get some ice cream, something like that. But in terms of having our whole heart, our devotion, our worship, God alone is worthy of that. And if we are to love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what Jesus is talking about. There's no one else that really has that place in our hearts. So are you familiar with the rock and roll song and, and they say, um, hold on loosely? Yes. You know that? You know I know that? that rock and roll song. I yes. know. It. Hold on loosely. But then they say, but don't let go. Yeah. And so they were really close. Uh, hold on <laughs> loosely, but let go. Right? That's where we have to be like, well, these things that we love, we have to understand they're all gifts of God. And, um, and it's, it's his um, to give and it's his to take away. And if we hold on loosely and we are able to let go of things as they come, you know, um, you know we've experienced in our lives uh, loss. You know, I remember when uh, my mother died and then when my father died and it, there were strange experiences, singular experiences. I love them, and they love me, and we had to say goodbye. Uh, and that's a very common experience in life, loss. But loss doesn't have to crush us if our hearts are in the right place. That is, if we've, we've, we've put our trust in God, we've given our worship to God, the love of God sustains us. So whatever we face, we can... We can Continue. Continue in the grace of God and the love of God. Even though circumstances change, fortunes go up and down. And I think all of this is, is tied into this commandment. Don't make idols. Um, very significant. Last uh, week we talked about our ego 
essential tenets. Is there one that would be particularly good to review today? Uh, yes, there is, Kirk. If you'll remember, when we talked about essential tenets, the essential tenets of eco uh, last time, we mentioned at the very end of that, it goes through the Ten Commandments in a fresh way. That is, how do these Ten Commandments apply to our lives today? So in that section where it comes to the second commandment, this is what it says. That is, how we are to hold ourselves accountable to one another. Number two, the second commandment, it says, worship God in humility, being reticent in either describing or picturing God, recognizing that right worship is best supported not by our own innovative practices, but through the living preaching of the word and the faithful administration of the sacraments. And here, that's really picking up a different point than what Steve was emphasizing. He was emphasizing the uh, how the improper use of pleasures or possessions that can be a downfall for us. Mm. Here in the Essential Tense of Ego, it says uh, we can get our own worship of God all wonky as well. We can be so um, focused on the performance, say, of a song, or for you and me as worship leaders of having a really on-fire sermon or prayer you know, we can get that focus on ourselves rather than God, and, and that's a danger. So this reticence in picturing God, this reticence in saying, I'm all that in a bag of chips, and mm -hmm. as a worship leader, I'm all that in a bag of chips. Mm -hmm. you, you gotta watch those things so that we don't pull ourselves away from God, even in the service of worship. Yeah, it reminds me of Steve's illustration of the person drowning, uh, drowning, where they are pulling under or pull us under uh, these things where we our pride and our sort of idea of our own self, the worth of ourselves can pull us under. Right. That was for that uh, prequel. Yeah, 1883. 1883. Did you know that they went out scouting for where they would film that scene and they scouted on the cattle ranch that... Uh, our daughter, our older daughter and son-in-law own because they have a couple rivers on, in their cattle ranch. Wow. But they decided to go for another site. So okay. if you watch that scene, you, you will not see where oh, where my grandchildren play. So close. So close. Yes. What about, we talked about last week some of the different confessional standards that we have. Is there one that we might draw upon there? Yeah, and, and I would go back to those same two that we looked at in our first episode, the catechisms. Now, catechisms, again, are question and answer uh, format. And uh, both in the Heidelberg Catechism, which was written in Germany, and the Westminster Shorter Catechism that was written in the United Kingdom, both of those have questions and answers about the Ten Commandments and about the second of these Ten Commandments. So the Heidelberg Catechism is always asking, well, what's, what's in the second commandment or what is the second commandment? And what does it require? And the answer to what the second commandment requires is that we should not represent him, that is God, or worship him in any other manner than he has commanded in his word. Uh, and you think about uh, times when uh, some of the leaders of uh, the kingdom of Israel or, or the kingdom of Judah got in trouble because they would kind of create their own worship services and mm -hmm. do things that were strange or when the 
I'm Ki- thinking of Saul, yeah. Right, he uh, decided, well, he's good enough to uh, do all of the priestly parts of that worship himself. Right. And uh, God put him in his place for doing something like that. Sure. And then it continues, well, should we not make any images at all? Mm. And the answer to that is God cannot and should not be pictured in any way. As for creatures, although they may be indeed be portrayed, God forbids making or having any likeness of them in order to worship them or to use them to serve him. So this uh, here in the Heidelberg Catechism is a really reaction to uh, some corruptions in worship that they saw in the medieval church where you got people looking, oh, if I worship God, I have to be looking at a painting or a particular statue. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of an overreaction to what they had seen going on in the medieval church. Or icons. Icons, icons, which are um, in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, of course, those are uh, tools for prayer, but uh, any representation of God can become problematic. Uh, that's why you don't see in, in most Protestant churches a lot of uh, religious art that's representational. Mm-hmm. You know, we have symbols, we have crosses. Mm-hmm. But even the crosses, typically in a Protestant church, they don't have Jesus on the cross. They have a bare cross. Correct. Right. All right. And then the Westminster Shorter Catechism had uh, uh, question 50 said, what is required in the second commandment? And the answer to that is the second commandment requires the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God hath appointed in his word. So again, it's going back to what does scripture say, uh, using scripture as a guide to what's proper worship. Mm. And then a typical uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, format, they ask what is forbidden in the second commandment, and then what are the reasons that are, that what's implied by the second commandment. So what's forbidden in the second commandment, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, the second commandment forbids the worshiping of God by images or any other way not appointed in his word. So it says, okay, Jesus did not say, I want you all to make a sketch of me now. Get out your tablets and your charcoal and make a great sketch of me so that other people can make great sketches of me in the future. That's not the pattern that Jesus said. Rather, the pattern uh, Jesus laid down is we should worship God in spirit and in truth. So it, it's, it's not the representational artwork that will be significant. It will be really getting close with God, getting in touch with God's spirit, doing things according to the truth that God has revealed to us in Scripture. So what do we do with religious art? I know that's, uh, and I, I've used religious art in doing various presentations in the past. And I think, I think we just have to hold it loosely as well. Right. I think there's much to be gained now by, in a sermon or in a Bible study, I can show a biblical story and you know, some great painting that has been done on that, either something from the Renaissance or some medieval work or some modern take on a biblical story. And sometimes they uh, help us think about those stories in different ways. Well, I think about the movie The Chosen. Right. I mean, you could take it that far. Yeah. Which is a piece of art. It's a piece of film. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 
television series, and I think it does a good job of making Jesus compelling. And at the same time, they're trying to say, well, no, what do we know about the archaeology? What do we know about the customs of the time? What do we know about the languages people are speaking and trying to get that accurate? And it's been doing such a, a wonderful job of reaching out to non-Christian people are discovering the chosen and coming to saving faith. So obviously God has chosen to use it, I think. God has chosen to use the chosen. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, each week we have a feature in our podcast. Um, we have a quote from C.S. Lewis. I was a little worried when Pastor Steve did use the uh, screw tape letters, and then I was wondering, oh boy, I wonder if Bruce is scrambling for a different C.S. Lewis quote. No, I, I'm thinking about another book by C.S. Lewis called The Four Loves, where Lewis is explaining uh, we have different kinds of love. You know, loving your, your dog or your neighborhood is not the same as loving your son or daughter or spouse, and that's not the same as loving God. And uh, Lewis, throughout The Four Loves, makes the emphasis that, you know, you can take a love that's good and twist it if it becomes an idol for you, an object of worship. So along that line, he says, and this is C.S. Lewis's quote right here, we may give our human loves the unconditional allegiance which we owe only to God. They then become gods, then become demons. Then they will destroy us and also destroy themselves. For natural loves that are allowed to become gods do not remain loves. They are still so called so, but can become, in fact, complicated forms of hatred. So it's really self-defeating for your love to put the, uh, a human love and put it up on that top position. It never works out well. I think Pastor Steve alluded to that in his sermon, too, that they demand more and more. Uh, I, do you remember hearing something? Yeah, he was quoting another preacher about how they're, oh. it's false advertisement almost. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, you had a quote, uh, and you're bringing to us week by week a quote from uh, a Reformed theologian. And what did you come up with this week, Kurt? Well, I came up with Heinrich Bullinger. Who was Heinrich Bullinger? Well, he was... Uh, he was a contemporary of Calvin, and, ah, okay. and uh, he was uh, one that took over uh, in Zurich for Zwingli. Mm -hmm. And uh, he has, uh, I think one of the interesting facts about him is that he actually has more literary output. Uh, his literary output exceeded that of Martin Luther, John Calvin, and Zwingli combined. My goodness. I know. It he liked like, to talk, or at least liked to write. Well, and I, it started me down a path of, well, I don't have any Zwingli, or I mean, I don't have any Bollinger <laughs> right. in my library. I need to have some Bollinger in my library. Okay, so what did you find? Well, from this quote is, uh, is from one of his sermons. Okay. So I don't fully know the context other than he was talking about all the covenants going back to Adam and Noah, right. the Mosaic Covenant. And he kind of concluded uh, with this. He said, But most ex excellently of all, most clearly and evidently, did our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself show forth that covenant, 
who, wiping away all the ceremonies, types, figures, and shadows, brought in instead of them the very truth, and did most absolutely fulfill and finish the Old Covenant, bringing all the principles of our salvation and true godliness into brief summary, which, for the renewing and fulfilling of all things, and for abrogation of the old ceremonies, he called the New Covenant or New Testament. In the, in the Testament, Christ alone is preached the perfectness and fullness of all things. In it, there is nothing more desired than faith and charity, and in it, it is granted holy and wonderful liberty unto the godly. Wow. So again, the point that you were making earlier in this episode, we should not look at the Ten Commandments as something that should make us feel horrible about our lives, but should point us to the love of God that we experience in Christ. Mm. Uh, the Ten Commandments are a great guide for ethics, a great guide for uh, doing what is right and knowing what is right and doing what is right. And then when we try to live those out, we will fail. So that points us to Christ, to his grace and to love. To come before God and say, God, I'm sorry. And then God gives us forgiveness again, sets us right. And we can try again to love as God loves and to be faithful as God is faithful to us. Pastor Steve, in our study guide, uh, has um, a little quote from Colossians 1, where Paul reminds us that in Jesus we behold the image of the invisible God. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell bodily in Christ. Right. We don't have to make images. God has made not just image, but embodied mm. uh, this world become one of us, flesh and blood in Jesus. So all of the things that people are yearning for, a God they could see and touch, we found that in Christ. That's deep. That's deep, Kirk. I know. I know. It's, uh, it's really, it's amazing, really, if you think about it, how many things we are able to put in place of God's love or or just simply distract us from his love and make us just get things mixed up i guess you know the and, order of things and and we do that all the time you know we we are involved in something and we get distracted and become inattentive to uh, other responsibilities other loves that we should be paying attention to and then we're are called back sometimes by friends that will come alongside us and say, what were you thinking? Mm. That gets us back. Yes. Or to our um, children or parents or our spouse that says, what were you thinking? Yeah. Snap out of it. Right. Or don't worry so much. Yeah. Pastor Steve talked about in the sermon that anything we make essential or ultimate uh, anything that is time-bound, I thought was helpful to understand. Mm -hmm. What is an idol? What am I making? If it's time-bound, if it's something created, um, those are the things that I try to make eternal, and they're not most of the time, unless it's God's love. Right. 
hang on loosely. Yeah. Uh, and let go when we have to. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, should we close in prayer? Yeah. Uh, I closed in prayer last time. Why don't you close in prayer for us, Kirk? All right. Lord, uh, we thank you for this time together, and we pray that you would help us to do self-examination of our lives, those things that are maybe distracting, those things we place before you. Um, help us, Lord, to uh, keep our focus on you, the one true God, in all that we do. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Now, last week, Bruce, we did mention that the music for the podcast is brought to us by... Brett Racine, who composed this original music, and we are grateful for his playing for us and for this podcast. Thank you for your time, Bruce. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you.